This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. What if comparing car insurance rates was as easy as putting on your favorite podcast? With Progressive, it is. Just visit the Progressive website to quote with all the coverages you want. You'll see Progressive's direct rate, then their tool will provide options from other companies so you can compare. All you need to do is choose the rate and coverage you like. Quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. Hello and welcome to Little Gold Men, the podcast from Vanity Fair and Panoply that proves that award season really is a year-round event. I'm Katie Rich, the deputy editor of VanityFair.com, and I'm here in person with Mike Hogan, the digital director of VanityFair.com. It sounds so, you sound like you're excited. I to know, be in I, was by my, I was by myself okay. last week. Yeah, I'm here. Hi, Katie. <laughs> and we're joined from France by Vanity Fair's film critic, Richard Lawson. Uh, bonsoir. Yes, your accent's great, Richard. <laughs> Richard's cut, cutting quite a dashing figure these days. I don't know if you've, you know. Well, I, we have lots of gossip to catch up on from Cannes, yeah. so that's that's basically why I brought you guys here. Uh, Mike is newly back from Cannes. Richard is still there. All the week in Oscar news is about Cannes, and I kind of wish I had been in Cannes. So this week's show is all about Cannes. Uh, we're going to talk about the biggest films of the festival so far, the stars who have kind of made a big impact, and uh, all the gossip from the croissette, including the Vanity Fair party that you guys were both at. From what I hear, the biggest news is that Leonardo DiCaprio and Mark Rylance both wore hats. Can you confirm this? <laughs> yeah. Leo arrived surprisingly. We didn't know he was coming. Mm. And uh, two years ago at the Vanity Fair party at the Hotel du Cap in Cap d'Antibes, Justin Bieber showed up. He was the surprise guest. Mm-hmm. And I would say Leo, probably a cooler surprise guest in my book, uh, although I suppose some people would disagree. Yeah, the trend is moving upward. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he showed up with a with a contingent of, uh, of friends, uh, including Tobey Maguire. And they kind of, he was wearing a, what do you call that, Richard? A golf golf cap? What, what is I that? I was calling it a, like a, a, a page, a newsboy cap kind oh, of thing. Newsboy cap. Okay. Yeah. Uh, it was kind of, tw- it was tweed. He had a tweed hat on. And a tuxedo? No. No, no, no. Ch- you know. Casual. Like chill bro. When you're Leo, you get to be casual. I mean, it was, yeah, he was like, he looked fine. He fit in. <laughs> right. It kind of sends a little jolt through the room. Everybody gets a little excited. He came in and said something to the bartender and then went over and was st- actually hanging out in the shadows, as somebody put it, but right in front of the DJ, DJ Mateo, our, our mm. signature DJ for everything. And then Kendall Jenner showed up and she headed over there as well. So there was quite a cluster of um, famous people right there. Yeah. That was cool. Well, Richard, I got the news about that. And then uh, our colleague Julie Miller snapchatting pictures of dogs. So uh, was there anything else that I missed? Is that That's all the big news, right? That's mostly the big news. Um, I was just going to say about the party, it was funny that when Leo showed up, you just noticed everyone outside on that big deck just sort of turned toward him, like like plants toward the sun. So that was that was that was exciting. It was a great turnout. Um, I I was excited to see Kate Hudson, who I'm a particular fan of, and um, I got to talk to Katrina or Katrina Balfi from Outlander. She's very nice. Uh, I got to meet her. She was quite nice, and I I should say that she was like kind of the bell of the ball. Like I saw her upstairs after the dinner, just really just had Brett Ratner enraptured in some conversation, and just everyone wanted to seem to say hi to her, and so that's cool for her. That's yeah, exciting. I think that was it was a big kind of coming out party for her uh getting to meet a lot of those folks because people are fascinated by outlander but i don't know 
that it's it had previously reached this sort of she's a celebrity status. Well, and until she's going in to and she's in Money Monster, and which was a big Monster. premiere at Cannes, so that was kind of her level up experience. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, you. I mean, you guys were both there, Mike. You've said that you didn't get to see any movies, but uh, from either of your perspectives, like what kind of Cannes not over yet, but what kind of Cannes has it been? Uh, I would say that it's it's kind of a slow starting Cannes this year. You know, a lot usually a lot of the the festivals front loaded scheduling wise, um, but this year uh, they really s- spread things out. So there's still a lot of big movies to come, even though the festival is almost over but we have seen some big stuff and you know there's there's already some oscar talk for a few movies so for our purposes that's exciting yeah we don't want to be the rubes who are going to sit here and say forget all the foreign films and the classics that will be revered in 50 years we want to talk about the oscars right that's the (laughs) (laughs) i mean isn't that why we're all here (laughs) well i mean it as it was also a kind of anxious can at the beginning because i think that ronan farrow thing the column that he wrote in the hollywood reporter about basically calling everybody out for quote unquote, I guess, ignoring the Woody Allen allegations really freaked everybody out a little bit. And I think there are two sides to this one that deadline perhaps somewhat self for their own selfish purposes is is hewing to, which is that, hey, this has all been looked at by, you know, legal authorities and no charges were filed. So what else is there to say until somebody has some new information you know, it doesn't necessarily make sense to hound this 80-year-old guy every time he shows up in public. And then I think certainly on the other side, it's like, you know, it looks awfully like people are just kissing Woody Allen's ass because he can make movies that get them Oscar consideration and so on. So that was pretty controversial. Our own uh, Julie Miller actually was the one who asked him a question about the the um, controversy at a press conference, which was, I think, totally legitimate and and the right thing for her to do. And he answered her, at least to the extent of saying that he hadn't read the Ronan Farrow thing and then weirdly comparing it to a bad review. But, you know, in the absence of a film that came that came out and sort of blew everybody away and saying, oh, my God, this is going to be the movie that gets all the Oscars. It was this more kind of little controversial stuff like that that was making people a little edgy, I think. Well, and after all of that, the movie based on your review, Richard, was, you know, a fine Woody Allen movie. Like a lot of his movies have been lately. They're just kind of pleasant and obsessed with the same old stuff. It wasn't the kind of thing to get worked up about in terms of content. No, there was nothing really to dig into in, in, in the movie. And I think that Can likes controversy that's kind of intra-film, you know, if like, or, you know, sometimes a Lars von Trier kind of thing will happen and, and that's sort of juicy. But like this, I think, was distracting and it didn't seem like the, you know, that the sort of French people involved here were, were very happy about that. Yeah. The, well, the other thing I should mention is that Can the festival itself hired this French comedian who made a joke about rape and incest at the premiere event, which everybody seemed to think was pretty uncalled for. And if nothing else, not a fun, you know, whether or not you think that journalists should be uh, asking more questions about it, nobody really thinks you should be making light of it in a, you know, in a comedy set at the beginning of an event. Anyway, so let's talk about the the films. Yeah, Richard. so yeah, so Richard, the Woody Allen movie, it seems like kind of a uh, a write off, but uh, yeah, I mean, what's the what would you say is the first movie that really grabbed you at this festival and was like, okay, we're going to be hearing about this six months from now, eight months from now? I wasn't as bowled over by it by by some, but certainly everyone, including myself, after we saw it, were, were mentioning talking about Oscar possibilities because it's that kind of movie, and there is there are some elements to the film that I think are. Uh, uh, could be big. What what chat categories are we talking about here? Well, I would certainly say best picture. You know, I think that it has this sort of the, a lot of obvious social relevance, um, even though it takes place 50 years ago. It's a, it's about the uh, interracial marriage Supreme Court case, just in case people haven't heard of it. 
Right. Joel Edgerton plays uh, a, a white man in Virginia who marries his African-American and slash Native American uh, wife, uh, uh, played by Ruth Nega, and uh, they get put in jail for it. And then there's a huge you know, court case. But the thing about this movie is that it doesn't really show the court case. It's really very intimately about them. And I think that maybe hampers the movie a little bit because it's not like rousing in this big way. But it is it is, you know, it's nicely made and, and people were really into it. I'm curious about Ruth Nega in particular, because she's also on Preacher, which is uh, premiering on AMC in a couple of days. So it seems like she's really poised for a big year. Is it a breakout performance for her? Oh, I think for sure. I mean, I think, you know, I, there, people have been aware of her. She's been on British television. She's been in things before. But this is really like, I think, on a, such a global stage, people are like, who is this person? Because she has this incredible face and she's so expressive in the movie. She doesn't get a lot to say. They don't. There's not a lot of talking in the movie, to be honest. But but she really makes an impression. And I think that of all Oscar potential hers is the highest from that movie well and joel edgerton i mean he's worked with jeff nichols before and uh his uh the director's highlights are kind of you know taciturn men not saying a whole lot he directed midnight special which we talked about just a few months ago so he he might you know be in in line with that kind of quiet vibe it seems yeah, for sure. I think, you know, he he's strong. He, he he does like a sort of Heath Ledger, Brokeback Mountain kind of buttoned up thing. And, you know, but and I was less into it than other people. But, you know, people are definitely talking big about him and have been for a few years now. So he might be due. All right. So uh, what else uh, grabbed you in terms of uh, what we should be talking about? Well, I mean, I think that this is a long shot for Oscars, uh, probably. But I was really taken with Personal Shopper, which is Olivier Assayas' new movie with Kristen Stewart. That's kind of this bizarre ghost grief story that I saw yesterday and reviewed today that was just quite something. And it's continuing the Kristen Stewart narrative of her kind of becoming this indie art house sensation. Yeah. And Olivia Assayas is the director who uh, directed her in Clouds of Sils Maria, which won her the French Oscar, basically the César, and got her, you know, not a small amount of Oscar buzz just a couple months ago. Mm -hmm. It it Mm -hmm. definitely could have happened. Yeah, it wouldn't have been a surprise if it happened. I think it would be more of a surprise with this, even though it's a bigger, juicier role than Sils Maria was for for Stewart. It this movie is so out there that um, I can't imagine. You know, the the people we've talked about many times on this podcast, the sort of older people in their Brentwood homes. I don't know if this is really going to connect with them, even though she is very good in it. And it got booed, didn't it? At the at the end, there were some scattered boos and hisses, which was the first I'd heard this year. Um, <laughs> uh, it's funny, like. Um, you know, last year it was the Sea of Trees, the Matthew McConaughey, Gus Van Sant mm-hmm. Japanese Suicide Woods movie. And this year it was this. And this what? was not booed as heavily. And then there was this funny kind of slow turn to that reaction. Then positive stuff started coming out. And then reviews ran last night and this morning. And, and now the movie kind of doesn't have the stink on it. It seemed it might right after that first screening. <laughs> the cycle has already continued in a way that changes it. Richard, can you figure out what causes what what gets uh the crowd to start booing at a can screening well it's funny that you ask that because um you know this is my third time here and so by some standards i'm a veteran by others i'm a novice still but um i was watching this movie personal shopper last night and i and i about maybe 40 minutes from the end i thought this is going to get booed it's going to happen and then sure <laughs> it did and i felt sort of smugly satisfied even though i was disappointed that it got booed but no i think that this i think that anything that is a huge you know risk in a, in a way like they yeah. the movie is so kind of crazy that that i think that there was bound to be some negative reaction and people get very excited to boo i think you notice it's never americans who do it it's pr- never british people um it's a certain kind of cultural thing and it's usually almost always from people up in the um the, the mezzanine or the balcony which means you know their their badges aren't as good so <laughs> the peanut know, gallery whole, literally 
Yeah, there's a whole class system to it. That, so these um, are like French cinephiles who paid their own money to come to Cannes, <laughs> probably spent a lot of money, and, and they're sort of looking for an opportunity to kind of get, to get excited about something negatively or positively. Right, exactly. So, um, so yeah, that happened, but it doesn't seem to have slowed the movie, uh, like momentum-wise, any, which is um, which I'm happy about. Well, and you talking about how it might be too weird for you know the Brentwood voters. I feel like that's something that happens out of Cannes every year. We hear about this movie that's this really, you know, successful bracing movie. Son of Saul got talked about like that last year. That won the Best Foreign Language Film Oscar. Or I think about Amour, which was a Best Picture nominee. The uh, Michael Haneke movie and Emmanuel Riva got the Best Actress nomination. I mean, you know, how about Foxcatcher? Yeah, <laughs> Our, my beloved Foxcatcher. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it does seem like you know this will happen, and you'll be there and think like, oh, well, how is this going to translate through the rest of the year? But Can Buzz somehow does seem to last longer than you know, especially Sundance Buzz. Like, the, if something succeeds there, and Personal Shopper, I guess, was a divisive success. Like, it, it does continue throughout the year. Yeah, Can is kind of viewed as a huge risk in some ways because if the movie is good, it can it can pay off. If the movie is good and gets a lot of buzz, it can it can really establish it as a big movie to watch that year. But if if it's sort of a, a mixed reception or even you know a bad reception, it sort of kills a movie in May. You know that could have mm-hmm. maybe had a little bit um, of a tighter window to to impress people like in the fall. So you know some of them sometimes it pays off, other times it doesn't. But I think I think for Loving, for example, it it. It's uh, this is it's good news for that movie for Focus, who's releasing the movie in November. Yeah. What about this Shia LaBeouf road movie thing? What about did you see that? Unfortunately, I had to miss it because I had uh, I just had to go to this fabulous Vanity Fair party. <laughs> oh, um, okay. This is American yeah. Honey. No, um, American the, Honey. The reaction to that has been pretty effusive, but uh, I've met some people who uh, are a little bit not as hot on it. I think the big thing with that is that it's almost three hours long. It's it's being compared to kind of like Spring Breakers with less violence. So I don't know if that's really Oscar-y, though it does certainly announce the director, Andrea Arnold, who's been sort of a Euro favorite. She's a Brit in, in on, onto the American stage, I think, certainly. So we should watch out for her maybe for her next movie. Is it a Shia comeback? Yeah, I mean, he was very clean cut, respectful at the press conference. Like he seemed like in good shape. Um, I, I certainly haven't seen him out partying anywhere or anything like that. So, so yeah, I think that like this is a good, this is a good uh, step forward for him. As the guy who wrote the uh, Shia LaBeouf cover story, you're heavily invested Hollywood's in Shia's next career. Big whatever it was thing. Yeah, I, I, st- I would love for him to come back. <laughs> you know, that would be nice for me. <laughs> yeah. And and it's, it's it's promising that a director like Arnold, who's very well respected, wants to work with him. You know, I think that's yeah. a good sign. He's crazy talented. It's just his wacko personality that holds him back. Yeah, I just realized no one this year has worn a bag over their head or said they sympathize with Hitler. Or the, it seems to be a very uh, well behaved can. I guess the Woody Allen thing might have been the one blemish, but he you know, even he behaved yeah, well exactly. through it. Yeah. Yeah, well, we'll see. The Xavier Dolan is tomorrow, so maybe he'll do something <laughs> awful. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's Z- Z- Xavier Dolan, the director of Mommy, who was, uh, you know, he's got a big personality for a director, and he's, what, 28? Yeah, I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> is there, <laughs> Richard, is there any chance that um, Ryan Gosling or uh, Russell Crowe could be acting contenders for The Nice Guys, or is that just a kind of summer fun heist movie type deal? I think people were definitely curious about that, but I think that once now we've seen it, like I think that no, I think it's more of a, a summer fun thing. But it's it's good to see, you know, it's always fun to see Ryan Gosling um, doing something upbeat, and same with Russell Crowe, and and they're and they're good together, and, and they've been kind of palling around at the festival. So I think the movie has good buzz. It's just it's I think it's going to be more of a, a a trifle, let's say. On the topic of summer fun, I'm also curious about the BFG, which Richard, I know you didn't like as much as you would have liked to, but uh, you know, it's a Spielberg movie. It's it's worth discussing. I mean, are we going to be paying, paying any attention to this after it opens in July? 
I think so. Yeah. I mean, I talked to enough people here just kind of, you know, at waiting in line for things or whatever, who were, were really into it and thought it was it was pretty gorgeous. Manola Dargis at The New York Times did an interview with Spielberg that also sort of doubled as a review of the movie, and she seemed very high on it. And so there are some heavy hitters who are who are into it. Uh, what I didn't like about it was just sort of that it felt a little bit like cold in a weird way. Um, it didn't seem like he had that much emotional investment in it. Like he was more just kind of technically interested, kind of like Robert Zemeckis has become in, in ooh, his career. Ooh. But yeah, I think it. I, I think that um, that's such a beloved book. You know, it was never my favorite Roald Dahl book, but it is a lot of people's favorite Roald Dahl book. So I think it could be something. And also, once again, two years in a row now with with Spielberg, Mark Rylance is just amazing in it. So he's certainly uh, worth. He he alone is worth seeing it for. Yeah, that whole idea of a Spielberg movie feeling cold, that's how I felt about Lincoln at first. And I know it's how a lot of people felt about Bridge of Spies before they came around to it. So I, I, it's an interesting phase that he's in. Uh, but I feel like he, it's been a long time since he made a bad movie. So I'm very curious to see it. Uh, and I should also say, just for the for the listener, um, you know, I'm seeing these movies at 830 in the morning. I've gotten in line <laughs> at 7 in the morning. And sometimes I've been out the night before. So <laughs> sometimes I'm more likely to drift off or get a little bored than um, than you're, you know, if you went on like a Friday night. So the, the, <laughs> we should caveat things with that. Not the optimal way to see the nice guys is what you're saying. Right. Exactly. But it is strange of all people to go to go acerbic, you know, Spielberg, who was mm-hmm. once the kind of like all heart. It was, yeah. Well, was Bridges Spies had lots of heart in it. It just yeah. kind of had the Rylance character to kind of give you the, the acid right. at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I think that tonally it's just um, it feels a little bit like there's not a lot of um, love in there, which is oh, which is an odd oh. thing to say about a Steven Spielberg movie and a Roald Dahl story, odd. you know, yeah. uh, and a children's movie. Uh, is it is it would it be an animated film? No. Right. It's just the one animated character. It's the BFG is animated. His other giant sort of enemies are, and there's a lot of green screen. But no, I mean the little girl is 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 there, you know, in real life. She's so like a real the, little girl, like the Jungle so. Book, basically. Yeah. But I wonder if there will be an argument at some point saying, "Oh, this should be considered, you know, an animated possibility." If that would be the difference between them getting a nomination and not. Oh man, that'll be an interesting category fraud conversation because right? Jungle Book would be eligible for the same thing because that's almost entirely animated well, except for the kid. And then it's this, and then one step away, it's like, well, then wouldn't Jurassic, you know, World mm-hmm. be? Avatar. And then it's basically like, wouldn't Furious Five be? <laughs> right, <laughs> movies that are basically Furious all CGI. 7, Furious Seven. Okay. Anyway, any other movies that you think are going to be possible best uh, picture things or or, or top level best actor, best actress? There are two movies that I think would have, in a perfect world, best actor and best actress potential, and I'll tell you about those. The first one is this movie I saw today called Aquarius. It's a Brazilian film, um, kind of about um, changing Brazil and the economics of of that really kind of conflicted country. In fact, there was a protest by the actors and the filmmakers on the red carpet during their photo call today. They all held up pieces of paper saying that what happened in Brazil was a coup, you know, this recent um, deposing of the impeachment of the president. Hmm. But Sonia Braga, this great Brazilian actress who's done some American things and international things, she turns in this just surreally amazing commanding lead performance in that movie. And she could be a sort of Emmanuel Riva from a more, you know, the rare sort of foreign actress or a Marion Cotillard who gets nominated for the Oscars. I really liked her in that. And how about actor? So for actor, this is even longer shot, but um, Jim Jarmusch has this movie here called Patterson that I was not really not really much on my radar beyond the fact that Adam Driver is in it. Um, and he's, you know, from Girls and, and uh, he's the the big bad, so to speak, in, in the new Star Wars. Um, he uh, you know, I, I'm not a huge fan of Jarmusch's movies. I find them a little bit uh, kind of 
uh, mannered and sort of a little bit too alienating. But boy, this movie is so sensitive and pretty and just really kind of moving. And Adam Adam Driver gives this beautiful performance that he's he's such a he's a really kind character. He's this sort of soulful bus driver in Patterson, New Jersey, and he's also a poet on the side. And we hear a lot of voiceover that is just him reading poetry. And it's a really striking, quiet, low key performance, but it really holds the movie really well. And so it was it was nice to see him do something like that. Well, I mean, it's a great time to be Adam Driver. Like this, a movie that small might have a hard time getting attention, but it seems like with his role in it, if people are talking about it, everyone's curious about Kylo Ren. So, you know, maybe it's not such a long shot. I think certainly that if there was a director, you know, maybe who's a little bit more mainstream, who was trying to figure out who their lead guy was going to be, but wasn't sure if Driver was really had it in him. I think that that Patterson, if nothing else, is a great reel, you know, so to speak, to to go out to try to get more work in that vein. So, Richard, you still got a couple more days left in Cannes. Uh, We are recording this on Tuesday. Uh, What have we not discussed that's coming up in Horizon that people should look for your reviews of or uh, look for in the Oscar race in six months that just based on blind predictions of these movies that haven't yet. Well, I think the biggest one for me, or the biggest two, the first is the Zabio Dolan film, It's Only the End of the World, which is about a kid, uh, or, or rather a man coming home to his estranged family to tell them that he that he's dying. And it has this great French lineup of movie stars. And the lead is played by Gaspard Ullier, who we saw in... Um, who we saw in A Very Long Engagement, which was a great movie with Audrey Tattoo. So I'm really excited for that. And then I'm really excited for The Neon Demon, which is Mm -hmm. um, from the director of Drive and Only God Forgives, Nicholas Winding Refn. And that has Elle Fanning and a couple other people. And it looks out there and and wild and and exciting. So that'll be the last movie I see at Cannes, actually. What about Sean Penn's movie? The the one with Charlize Theron that uh, has the gossip magazines at least intrigued. Uh, yes, there's that too. And then I'm, I'm unfortunately, I'm going to miss Isabel Huppert in this Paul Verhoeven thriller, Elle, which is a revenge thriller that sounds fantastic. Well, it sounds like there's more than enough to see at Cannes, as with every year. Um, Mike, do you, are you kicking yourself for not seeing any movies? <laughs> no, I, you know, I'm actually really comfortable, as I imagine a lot of people are at home, just letting Richard see everything and tell me <laughs> which ones are worth my time, personally. But Richard, thing about our job, I think. Yeah, really. <laughs> Neon Demon has my vote for best uh, movie title of the year that I've heard so far. It's a good one. Yeah, and that and the exciting thing about that for people who just follow can coverage but don't go, that movie's coming out this summer, so it, it's only a couple months wait if it gets rave reviews here. And I want to see the nice guys this weekend. I mean, yeah, you know, we can we can all do that. Money monsters in theaters now. Right, right. And uh, um, Woody Allen's won't be far behind, so it's not such a long wait as we make it. Well, up actually, I have one more question though, Richard. Yeah. If you were handicapping best foreign language at the Oscars right now, do you think how many of these do you think could make it? We we know that that's a very eccentric process where the the country of origin has to, which even that gets fudged sometimes. But one of the countries that's involved in it has to put forward a, a single film for consideration. And then some group of who the hell knows who they are decides <laughs> which five get nominated. There's a short list, then there's nominations. But still, given all that, if you were going to hand out a Best Foreign Language uh, Oscar or five nominees, what's on your list? I would say the biggest one is the new Chan Wook Park movie. He's a South Korean director who made Old Boy and, uh, well, the American movie Stoker, which wasn't really that well received. He has a movie here called Mademoiselle or The Handmaiden that blew people away, and it's this wonderful, naughty, long revenge uh, sort of um, intrigue about a thief infiltrating a house, and it, it's it's really cool. It's um, naughty, K N O T T Y, or naughty, <laughs> or both? Oh, no, no. Well, actually, it's both. All right, that's um, good. I like I, that. I was. 
the K one, but um, it's it's full of <laughs> lesbian sex. So oh, okay. um, there's that too. Naughty and naughty. That could be your quote above the uh, the the uh, title. And, yeah. I, and I believe that uh, Park Chan-wook, even though he's a revered international director, doesn't have much of a track record with the Oscars and getting his films nominated in that category. So that could be a very interesting, uh, uh, you know, emergence for him. Yeah, he's sort of a genre filmmaker, so he makes kind of thrillers and, and crime stories. And so it's not high Oscar stuff. But I also this Brazilian film with Sonia Braga, I think, because it has this kind of social realism, you know, sort of pertinent pol- political thing that that could that could uh, do well for that movie. Well, for more from Richard uh, from Cannes, you can check back to VanityFair.com for more reviews and, uh, you know, stop him on the street and speak French to him and see if it triggers some kind of sense memory. And uh, you'll get the full experience of what it's like to be well, in Cannes. And you'll be able to uh, pick him out because he started taking selfies. Oh, yeah, that's for true. The first time new ever. development. This is a new, a whole new Richard. So back to just me and Mike in the studio. Uh, before we go, we're going to take a quick can-themed look back at recent Oscar history at uh, what, as far as I can tell, was the most can-centric best lineup in the last few years. 2011, or the films of 2011, had three films that premiered at Cannes that were nominated for Best Picture, uh, including the Palme d'Or winner. Pop quiz, Mike, what were the three? <laughs> <laughs> hmm, I believe The Tree of Life was the Palme d'Or winner. Indeed. And then I remember Midnight in Paris by Woody <laughs> Allen. And the last one was the eventual winner, The Artist? The Artist, the most French movie to win Best Picture ever, as far as I can tell. Yeah. Uh, so at you... the time, I wasn't paying close enough attention, though, and I went to a screening at uh, Toronto. Mm, of The Artist? Couldn't figure out why it was so crowded and then decided that I didn't have time to finish it, so I just left before it started. Everyone was like, you're the biggest city in the world, <laughs> and The Artist is going to win Best Picture, which it did. Did you ever see it? Yes, of course. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, you got to. So uh, we we want to decide what what should have won Best Picture that year. Also, just... I think I saw Uggy on the uh, in France last week. Oh wow! Well, just, Wait, looked, no, Uggy's was, dead. I know. It looked like Uggy. Uggy's ghost. <laughs> the the ghost of, of Uggy. Uggy. Spirit of Uggy lives on in Cannes. All right. So the nominees that year, as a reminder, the artist, the eventual winner, Moneyball, The Descendants, The Tree of Life, which won the Palme d'Or, Midnight in Paris. By the way, uh, Bennett Miller then went and took Foxcatcher, the Moneyball That's director. True. So he's a kind of Moneyball's a little bit of a can. Yeah, sure. We'll give it give it a Throw association there. Okay, so Midnight Midnight in Paris, The Help, Hugo, Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close, and Warhorse. Not a bad lineup there. And I Hugo think. takes place in France. See, there you go. And then, Good uh, lord. Yeah. All right. I'm sure, we can find some. You know, I think Warhorse takes place in France or Belgium or somewhere. Yeah, some horrible you know, battlefield in World War One. I, I may not have ever seen Warhorse. Actually. Eh, well, know, Warhorse was not going to be my pick to uh, hand Best Picture to. I mean, I think it's the cliche. It was the critical consensus at the time. But I mean, The Tree of Life as a Best Picture winner would have been incredible. Yes. Yeah. Is that your pick? I don't know. I mean, I was really Team Descendants at the time, which I know you were too. Yeah. But I think I might have done that. I, I loved The Tree of Life, but I think I might have. I don't know. I honestly can't even remember what I thought at the time. I tell you, you know what's very can about The Tree of Life? I went to see it, I can't remember where, but somewhere in New York City mm-hmm. with my French friend Julian. Hey. And uh, people walked out. People got up and walked out. <laughs> Did it's they It's like boo the New Yorker equivalent out. of booing. Now they were just like, <laughs> fuck this movie. Um, yeah, there's a lot of that for Tree of Life. I loved Tree of Life. And I watched it twice and it's gorgeous both mm-hmm. times. But it's not a very Oscar-y, not a very no. Oscar best picture-y thing. No. But, but but I mean you got you got Brad Pitt you got Jessica Chastain basically becoming a movie star mm-hmm. right in front of your eyes um, strong emotional pull I think it's the I don't know it's a great lineup yeah Moneyball was great yeah it was a great movie Moneyball gets better and better the more you think about it too it's I didn't one even of think those of movies. Brad Pitt up against himself too mm-hmm. 
Yeah, Moneyball is one of those movies that you know if it came on your television, you would be helpless and you would have to watch the entire thing yeah. the whole way through. Yeah. But we were, we both love The Descendants, which I feel like almost gets forgotten, like this I, huge George Clooney vehicle that had a decent shot at winning Best Picture. I'm a huge Alexander Payne fan. I adored The Descendants. I've seen it at least twice. The soundtrack, I owned at some point. Now I just have it on a Spotify playlist. Everybody listen like to the Descendants uh, soundtrack. It's amazing. It's also great Hawaiian music. Yeah. So why don't people like it? I don't I don't actually even I understand. It, I always think I think people thought it was a lot uh, more callous and kind of soulless and the way the Alexander Payne movies can be kind of harsh on its characters. Yeah. But I, saw I mean, this a lot is the more director har- of election yeah. of, of, about Schmidt. Yeah. Nebraska. Uh, Nebraska. Yeah. But I feel like I saw a lot more soul to it, like a lot more sympathy for its characters than a lot of other people did. I mean, even at the time, like there were a lot of people who just hated that movie. <laughs> They th- I don't understand what's soulless. How could it be soulless? I, I we need know. to get somebody well, on. Joe a... Reed. Will Joe Reed to tell us? Oh yeah, Joe Reed. Please call hater? in, and uh, we'll play your voicemail next week call or join in. us. Well, and there's also you know George Clooney is playing someone who is native Hawaiian of some descent. This is something that Cameron Crowe's Aloha got into that and it got pilloried for that. Yeah, there are people he's... who have ties to native Hawaiian ancestry who do not look native Hawaiian at all. Well, and he's supposed to be one of the rich guys who's like basically. You know, I don't know. Here we're going to get into something I don't understand. <laughs> but the way that I took that is he's one of those aristocratic rich guys who probably has like one one thousandth actual yeah. Hawaiian, you know, native blood, but gets to, you know, mm-hmm. be part of this family. I don't know. Yeah, I no. mean, okay. I mean, there's like interest in, you know, it's based on a novel by a woman who is native Hawaiian. And it's about this whole idea of blood ties to the land that you're in. And it's got this whole, you know, there's the scene where he curses out his wife who's in a coma, which for me worked really well. But I think a lot of people saw as being unnecessarily harsh. I think that there's what? A- who, who judges movies on whether they're harsh or not? Well, like harsh is life is fucking harsh. Sorry. Well, if- life is harsh. Who are you? The only thing I know for sure is you're a goddamn liar. So what do you have to say for yourself? You go ahead and make a little joke. Tell me that I got it all wrong. Tell me again that I'm too out of touch with my feelings and I need to go to therapy. Well, if it's a movie that's trying to make you feel something and you feel like it's uh, being insincere, I can, you know, people bow out of that. But I think insincere, we, okay, insincere. Yeah, I th- but I think we both agree that there is a sincerity to it. That Alexander Payne does does have a heart, and it is on his sleeve of descendants. This is the movie that introduced us to Shailene Woodley. Yes. she's amazing in it. She's amazing, really great. And I, well, I think the, I don't know. For me, it really worked. The whole kind of playing it close to the vest. All these major, massive, nightmarish emotions being held at bay with as much energy as possible everybody trying not to kind of like be broken by this crazy situation Mm -hmm. and these nightmarish feelings because it's not just that she's in the coma but then he realizes that she's been having an affair and that's all laid out for you at the very beginning yeah so it's this this really paradoxical situation of feeling bad about your wife and also really being pissed off at her Mm -hmm. I don't know, man. Yeah, no. I've, it, it, I, the more I think about it, the more I really that love that pick? movie. As a as an Oscar Best Picture movie, I mean, I'd rather I'd rather watch that right now than any other movie. I would watch mm. it right now. What are these? Do- I think I would watch running Moneyball with the, right the now. thing where he's running in the, in the boat shoes <laughs> in the boat shoes. Yeah, and that w- I thought was a, was a good moment of George Clooney kind of puncturing the glamour of George mm-hmm. Clooney. I and mean, he ca- plays it a little schlubby. Yeah, oh, he totally does. You know? He's wearing those ill-fitting Hawaiian shirts that whole movie. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they, he's you know. a rich guy. He's never like it's not yeah. that he's there's a little bit of glamour, but he's like schlug- schlubby. He's glamour. like Hawaii rich, where you never have to wear pants. Yes, <laughs> it seems great, honestly. <laughs> 
Yeah, exactly. I don't know. I'm still team uh, Descendants, but I thought the artist was good. But I thought the the artist to me didn't really. It was like a a little confection. Well, and if you want to criticize Hollywood for constantly congratulating itself, the artist is the number one example. Like if it hadn't won Best Picture, you know, you wouldn't, you know, you wouldn't see people being so hard on Argo probably because it's another movie about Hollywood saying, "Aren't we wonderful?" Which is the yes. uh, a theme that comes up at the Oscars year after year. Yeah, I mean, it was it was clever. I definitely don't need to see it again. No, whereas, I've definitely never seen it again. And whereas I think, yeah, Moneyball is, stands up. What were the other ones again? Oh, we got The Help, okay, Extremely the Loud help. and Incredibly Close, Hugo, Ooh, which is Jesus Hugo Christ. was really pretty good. You know, it's a it's a Hugo very was good. it's a weird Scorsese movie. Like it mm-hmm. doesn't feel of a piece of anything that he's made, but uh, it's pretty good. Yeah. War Horse, which is a uh, very painterly Spielberg movie, A uh, Midnight in Paris, which I really like, and yeah, that's a good movie. Uh, you know, it was like more thoughtful than I think people give it credit for. I mean, it's uh, yeah, there it, there's some moments in it. Some of those there's impersonations <laughs> of uh, of like dead writers and stuff were pretty painful. I, I, but, I thought uh, Tom Hiddleston was really wonderful as F. Scott Fitzgerald. That was Tom See, nobody knew who he was at and that time. And Corey Stoll was Ernest Hemingway. He was, See, that was not good. I oh, thought. really? Mm-hmm. Oh, that yeah. was the movie. That's that, the one I'm thinking of. That was the role that like launched Corey Stoll. Like, he has mm-hmm. a kind of a career based on that one tiny performance. So. Yeah. And uh, no, there's a lot of there's a lot of good. This is just long ago, long enough ago now that we can kind of look and be like, ah, that's where. Well, I, I mean, from. Owen Wilson is so charming in it. Yeah. Ernest Hemingway, gosh, <laughs> wow. Is. Yeah, I would watch Midnight in Paris again, right? I would watch yep. many of the extremely loud and incredibly. I would close. never I see again. Watch extremely loud and incredibly close again. Yeah, the help I stick up for. I'm, I like the help. Not the, the help I don't think it fun, should have won best picture. Yeah, it's a fun. Uh, yeah. Ladies' movie. <laughs> <laughs> Can I say that? Oh God! Not. People, people are going to leave reviews about that. Okay, so is your uh, best picture pick for 2011 The Descendants? Yes, 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 okay. yes. I'm proudly pro Descendants to this day. I'm proudly pro Descendants, but I still think I go for Tree of Life, just because I always want something weird to win Best Picture, just to have yeah. that as be part of the mm-hmm. history. You know, this is the, the Titanic and the Tree of Life won Best Picture. Well, and That's then a, would we have gotten to see Terrence Malick? Probably not. Oh, that, see, there you, yeah, he, he didn't show. Up he was nominated for best director, director, and he did not show up. Yeah, he wouldn't have gone. No, he's cut. You know, he's out in a cornfield somewhere. He's doing fun without <laughs> going to the Oscars. <laughs> that does it for this week's little gold men uh, thank you for listening and please remember to uh, rate and review us on iTunes even if it is to tell Mike that the help is not just a lady movie <laughs> that's fine with us uh, you can find all of us at vanityfair.com and um, all of us on Twitter I'm at Katie Rich Mike Mike underscore Hogan and Richard in his absence he is at Rylaws and uh, we're all at little gold men where uh, I have been seeing all of your mentions and really enjoying them so please keep tweeting at us too this episode was produced by Sam Dingman and edited by Tim Einenkel. And thanks to Laura Mayer and Andy Bowers at Panoply. And the award for best description of a member of the 1% who you'd actually want to have at a dinner party goes to me. He's like Hawaii Rich, where you never have to wear pants. Hi, I'm Jeremy Larson, the Reviews Director of Pitchfork, and this podcast is supported by Pitchfork Music Festival. 
Pitchfork Music Festival will take place July 19th through the 21st at Union Park in Chicago, Illinois. This year's lineup features Jamie XX, Alanis Morissette, Black Pumas, Carly Rae Jepsen, Brittany Howard, Jay Paul, Muna, Jesse Ware, 100 Gex, and many more. The festival also features diverse vendors as well as specialty record, poster, and craft fairs and works to support local businesses while promoting the Chicago arts and food communities as a whole. For more information on tickets and lineup, visit pitchforkmusicfestival.com.